0: Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, but holy fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Welcome, welcome. Before we begin with this episode, if you are enjoying my podcast, could you do me a huge solid and go and review it, either with the star system or written word? This helps my rankings, which helps people see the podcast more. So it's kind of put in front of people more. And that would be awesome if you are enjoying it. And if you're not enjoying it, shoot me an email and tell me why. All right. I'm very excited about this episode. This is How We Homeschool. I have gotten many, many emails and private messages that people have heard me mention homeschooling and they would like to know more. So I'm pretty excited to share Our homeschooling life. But first off, before we begin, I need to be ultra super duper clear. I do not think everyone should homeschool. I am not anti teacher. I am not anti school. (laughs) In fact, I'm wildly pro teacher. Pascal went to kindergarten and half of first grade before I took him out to homeschool. And I told anyone who would listen that I believe teachers should have a starting salary of a million dollars. These women and men work their asses off. They are in charge of our children's minds and learning, and they have them all day. And I think they should start with a million (laughs) dollars. I will say that I am against where school is headed right now with the rush on early academics. I am concerned with the massive and competitive testing culture. I am wildly against teachers' jobs being measured by the testing culture. And I want to be very, very clear that I think we're all homeschooling. It's just some people are homeschooling part-time and some people are homeschooling full-time. But if your child does go to school or daycare or preschool or anything outside of the home, I'm pretty sure when they get home, you just don't leave them alone. (laughs) I'm pretty sure you, you know, have an instrument or another language or activities, museums. So yeah, we're all homeschooling. It's just whether you're doing it part-time or um, half-time, full-time. The school environment just didn't work for my son or for me or our lives. So we chose this lifestyle and homeschooling really is a lifestyle choice. Again, I'm doing this episode because every day someone emails me or DMs me about our homeschooling, and I want to answer all the big questions because I get asked them very frequently. The very first big question is what made me decide to homeschool? So like I said, Pascal had entered kindergarten and he had gone through half of first grade. For me, I guess in the back of my mind, I had always had this idea that he would go to elementary school and I would take him out for middle school and we would travel. But this was like the rough idea when I was pregnant, right? Like the same idea of like no stickers on my car window or my child's still gonna eat out at a five-star restaurant as an infant, right? So I <laughs> so I wasn't, I can't with a hundred percent certainty say that this was like a concrete plan. And then kindergarten kind of snuck up on us. I, um, before, you know, or crap potty training, I had owned a store. So he was in daycare and preschool. And kindergarten kind of just, I kind of jumped into it like the next step, right? I didn't give it much thought. And his kindergarten teacher was phenomenal. Like she was the teacher. Other parents who had had her told me, God, your kid's going to be in college and you're still going to be pining for Mrs. Pinksaw. She was that good. So right away, even though she was that fabulous, I kind of thought, wow, you don't get those teachers too often in your school career. Like I had one. That teacher was Mrs. Templeton in 11th grade American history. (laughs) And so I thought, shit, are we using our Trump card here in kindergarten? But that was just, you know, a funny thought. Kindergarten was okay. The, The whole school culture, though, there were definitely some red flags. And then it got worse in first grade. And a few of the red flags were they went to silent lunches, right? Which was really weird to me. It's like kind of the only free time kids had. There was an incident where I guess some kid was talking in the library, and so the whole class had to stand against the wall during recess outside watching all the other kids have fun. I I thought that was archaic. Oh, speaking of recess, recess was 11 minutes. And I want to be very, very clear. This was one of the top schools in Providence. So it's not like we were in a crappy school. And on that note, I do want to say, I hear from people all over the country, and I know there are still some like super fabulous schools that that aren't indicative of what I experienced in my school. So I just want to let you know that, that you don't have to email me and say, you know, not all schools, (laughs) because I know that. This was just our experience at our school. Right away, though, I was really, 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 I didn't care. The minute he entered kindergarten, he came home with what I called wound up wiped out. So he was exhausted, but so hopped up because he had been sitting all day. You know, the academics was really heavy. Kindergarten is the new first grade, if not second grade. It was a lot, a lot of work and there wasn't enough physical activity. So like we'd get home, he'd have to play outside for a good hour and a half, two hours with a bath. There was homework. It was this endless treadmill already in kindergarten. It was kind of crazy. A huge thing that bugged me was lunch. Not only was it silent lunch, but he kept coming home with his lunchbox absolutely full and Pascal likes to eat. So I was like, buddy, what's up? Like, why aren't you eating your food? And he would say, mama, there's no time. There's no time. And I was like, what do you mean there's no time? There's time for lunch. He just kept telling me no time. And I was like, explain to me what happens. And you know how he explained it. It did seem like there was no time, but of course he's sick. So I wasn't sure if I should believe him. So I did a little test. I put M&Ms in his lunchbox, which I never would do, but I was like, okay, if he eats the M&Ms, he has found time. Sure as shit, the M&Ms come home uneaten. So this kid really didn't have time to eat lunch. And I'm like, what's going on? And it turns out that they could get extra recess if they didn't eat. And the kids wanted outside time so bad, they would give up lunch. That, that blew my mind. I think that's like criminal. You know, as a lifestyle thing, and I know I'm an out of the box, uh, person and, uh, out of the box thinker, but oh my God, my heart just clenched up at the idea that I had to move with all the people. I'm, I'm pretty, um, <laughs> I go against the flow most of the time. And so the idea that like, oh my God, I could only have fun on the weekends when everything was super crowded and I, I felt like I was being herded with all the people. And, and that's just a personal thing. Another red flag was academically Pascal is very math inclined. He was figuring out his timetables and division very early on. And in first grade, we had a teacher conference and the teacher said to me, you know, like, no, 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 he has to stay with the class. Cause I said, geez, can't we get something beyond real basic addition and subtraction? And she was like, no, 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 he has to stay with the class. He, um, he can't go ahead. But if you would like to buy a book at home, you can teach him at home. And so this like, kind of ding, ding, ding goes off in my head. And I was like, well, that's homeschooling. You know, like, why is he going here if I'm going to teach him what he wants to learn at home? Then there was another incident where a packet of work got sent home and inadvertently another child's work was in this packet. And this child's work was chicken scratch. And I knew that uh, there were eight other boys in Pascal's class and I knew six of them had severe behavioral problems such that, like, psychiatrists and police were brought into the classroom on a daily basis. So this packet of work was just shocking to me, though, because this child was clearly academically nowhere near where Pascal was. And I know there's a wide divergence of of academic abilities, especially in kindergarten and first grade. But I just thought, oh, my God, this kid is the squeaky wheel. So, of course, this kid's going to get all the teacher's attention. And I brought it up to the teacher in a teacher conference. And she said, oh, yeah, Pascal's great. He doesn't need any of my attention. And I was like, wow, well, that kind of (laughs) sucks. And then I'd say the one of the last things that was like a huge red flag is, and it took me so long to realize this, he was biting his lip. He was biting his lip throughout the week. By Friday, it would be bleeding, chapped, like the worst Then over the weekend and vacations and long weekends especially, it would heal. So it didn't take me – well, it did take me long because I was like, I thought it was chapped. I thought it was (laughs) – I didn't know what it was. But I realized that school was making him nervous, that his lip was biting. And it turns out that they were testing. Our school was one of the first schools to adopt – Common Core. And they were testing. They were testing in kindergarten. They were testing in first grade. And these tests were done with an iPad. It wasn't like, you know, standardized testing. They weren't making kids sit still for like 100 question, multiple choice, fill in the bubble test. But the kids all knew they were being tested. And later, got about six months into our homeschooling, I was tucking Pascal into bed one night and he said, I just love homeschooling. And I said, yeah, me too. What do you love about it? And he said, Mama, you don't know those tests that we had to take. They made me so nervous. My stomach would get sick. I just hated them. And so I kind of suspected Pascal is a perfectionistic learner. Like if he makes a mistake, he will erase the paper till it's gone. Super rule follower, super neat penmanship, like just a perfectionistic learner. And I suspect that had he stayed in school, he would have developed full-blown test anxiety. So, So there was that. So all of these things were kind of, you know, in my head and I was like tossing homeschooling around, but I got to tell you guys, I was petrified. Like I couldn't imagine I only know the school system, right? So it that's my indoctrination. I don't know anything else, even though I am an out of the box thinker. I thought, well, this is the biggest fucking experiment ever, right? So I just kept tossing it around in my head and and should I, shouldn't I? And I kept talking to homeschoolers and talking to their kids and And kept, you know, kind of building my case with myself. And then the middle of his first grade, it was December 14, 2012, and Sandy Hook happened. And I know probably at the time, you guys may have not been parents. And unfortunately, it's so weird to say this, but school shootings have become commonplace and like we're horrified. But that first one was like, holy fuck, we were paralyzed as a generation of parents. Like the schools are so sacred. We were... We were shaken to our core. I was shaken to my core. You know, and it's really weird. I wasn't actually scared of Pascal going back into the school. That was on a Friday. I'll never forget. It was on a Friday. So uh, all the parents, we had all weekend to process it. And Monday was horrific. Like nobody wanted to send their kids to school. And I actually wasn't scared of like a shooting. I know this is weird and probably a whole nother podcast episode, but I have been involved in a mass shooting. (laughs) And I thought, well, you kind of only get one per family, right? But it did shake me to my core because all weekend I sat and I processed, Jesus, these parents sent their kids to school and their kids never came home. And life is so fleeting and so fragile. And we get caught in the day-to-day minutia of living because we have to, right? But what if my child got taken from me tomorrow? What would I do? What would I regret? And I have told this story a million times and I'm going to cry and I cry every time (laughs) because I'm telling you guys, the clouds parted and the angels sang. And it was so clear to me that sending my child to someone else for the very best hours of his day is what I would regret. I got stuck with this exhausted, hungry, emotional puddle and someone else got him at his best. I was missing huge chunks of this kid growing up. Kindergarten went so freaking flat, fast. It was this blur, this blur of get shit done. And I, I, again, like this treadmill of, of life that wasn't living. I wanted to enjoy my, my old child. I wanted to be a part of him growing up. And I know we can't live every day as though it's our last. That'd be ridiculous, right? We'd all run up our credit cards. (laughs) We wouldn't do jack shit. But there is that idea of, Oh my God, what if I only had a finite time with my child? And I just realized how much I wanted to be a part of his growing up. So I talked to Pascal and I said, you know, would you like to homeschool? And I thought maybe he'd be resistant because, again, he's a super rule follower. And he was like, yeah, I would love to homeschool. And he was like, I don't really know what it is, but I would like to not go to school. <laughs> so so we talked about it and we plan to finish out first grade because, again, as a rule follower, I thought he would like that closure. So we plan to finish out first grade. Then it was February. It was February 12th. (laughs) And um, how our routine was is we would both get up very early. He would get on his iPad. I would take the dog out for a walk. When I got home, we'd make breakfast, et cetera, et cetera. So I take the dog out. I get home and he's on his iPad, just dripping tears. Not a fit. He's not throwing a fit at all. Not even emotional. Just these silent tears falling on the iPad and he keeps wiping them off. And I'm like, oh my God, what's up? And again, forgive me, you guys, I'm going to cry. <laughs> this was what, almost eight years ago and I still cry. He just looks up at me and he said, can we homeschool today? I don't want to go back to school. And you guys, nothing was ever like wrong. It's not like he came home from school, like crying. There was no big episodes. There was no big bullying, anything like that. You know, by all accounts, he was having a perfectly average school experience. And I I was freaking out. I was like, I wasn't mentally prepared, right? It was February And I was like, I don't have enough colored pencils. I don't have enough notebooks and maps. I didn't know what I needed as a homeschooling mom. I also had a radio show at the time. The radio show was on Tuesday. I was like, what the hell am I going to do with this kid? You know, during my radio show, it was a freakishly warm February day. I was like, you'll have extra recess. Please, please, please go to school today. I don't know. I'm not ready for this. And he looked up at me in this like 90 year old voice. And he was like, it's okay. I'll go to school if you make me. But I'd like to homeschool today. What do you do when your kid says that? Right. So I marched to school. I just, I marched right to school. It was right near our house. And I said, we're going to, we're going to homeschool. I'm pulling him out. And his home, his first grade teacher said, Wow, I think that's a really great decision. You know, I'm not sure where academics are going these days. The principal said, You know, we're sorry to see you go. Pascal's a great student, but I understand. And I think you're making a good decision. And I was like, Whoa, okay. I got home and I told him and I said, buddy, you don't have to go back. And the way he looked at me, you guys, it was this bridge of trust that I will, It again, to this day, it makes me cry. He just, he could tell I was his biggest advocate and his biggest supporter. And I could tell all of a sudden we had locked into this trust that was amazing. So that's pretty much how I decided to homeschool. In some ways, it was totally planned out. In other ways, it was a total shock. I'm not going to lie. Every time I thought about it before we started, I threw up. I was crying at night. I would shake. I couldn't, I didn't know how. (laughs) Again, it just seems like a really big freaking experiment. And so um, I was very, very, very nervous. I joined a homeschool group very quickly in Rhode Island. We're very lucky. We have a super religious home group, a homeschool group. We have a kind of religious homeschool group and we have a fully secular homeschool group. So I joined the secular homeschool group and met with an amazing mom who was like walking me through stuff. And she gave me two pieces of advice that stick with me. And I, t- in turn, give them to other parents. And of course, I'm sitting there across the, her kitchen table crying. And I'm like, what if I fuck this up? <laughs> you know, it's my kid, it's his education. And, and she said, listen, as an engaged parent, you just can't fuck this up you can't. And number two, as far as like the actual teaching curriculum and, and all that, she said, listen, if you're crying, it's not working. If he's crying, it's not working. She didn't mean homeschooling. She meant that the, the teaching, there are a billion ways to teach your child. So if it's not working, find another way. And those two have stuck with, with me because there were times where we were both crying, which brings us now, I'll, I'll explain more about that and, and curriculum. And like the myriad of questions I get about the actual teaching, like how many hours do you homeschool? Do you take summer off from homeschooling like school? Do you have a set curriculum? So I, I often get these questions about the actual learning. There are uh, different types of homeschooling, and I'm not so into the labeling, except they sort of direct you. There's classical homeschooling. There's at school at home homeschooling. There's boxed curriculum, which comes, you know, it's everything you need, science, history, English, literature, all that. there's uh, build your own library. that's a type of homeschooling. There's Montessori, Waldorf. There's all different kinds of homeschooling, and so there's also thousands and thousands of curriculum. The Internet has changed everything. You have all the information at your fingertips. I don't know if you know this, but most colleges, including Ivy League, Stanford um, and MIT, all their curriculums online for free. So and not that your kid's anywhere near MIT's curriculum, but there is so much available online. We do something called unschooling, which is we we don't do much formal schooling. We sort of follow the path of life. And it's it's changing as he gets older. We're very fluid. I tend to go with what works for us in the moment. When we began homeschooling, Pascal, while he was in school, loved worksheets. So, you know, I went to I went out and bought like a whole shit ton of notebooks. I mean, uh, notebooks, workbooks. He appeared to love them. But the minute I took him out of school, it was like this crazy reactionary rebellion. Like he'd freak out and he'd also freak out. I had to remove all pens, uh, red pens and pencils. He'd freak out at the the red marks for being wrong. And he is not a delicate flower. I am not a delicate flower. This was like severe test anxiety, like I had never seen. So I just ditched all the red pens and pencils. He was like scarred by that. In the unschooling, we we follow life. And I want to give you a couple of examples of this because people, it's really hard to wrap your head around. People go, well, I don't get it. Like you don't actually teach him. How can that be? So one thing to remember is that Compulsory schooling, school as we know it, is actually the humankind experiment. Compulsory schooling's only been around for about 110 years. Given the length of time that we have educated ourselves, that's pretty young. So, so believe it or not, that is the experiment. The segregation of subjects is very new to humankind. The idea that math is separate from language, is separate from science, is separate from history, is a a relatively new concept. And probably it's been done that way because you have to manage, you know, a large amount of children at the same time. But if we go back and we look at, you know, the Renaissance men, we look at da Vinci and we see that he was a poet, he was an engineer, he was an artist, he was a scientist, and they were very fluid together. So number one, we personally take away the segregation of subjects. The other thing is I didn't take my child out of the school environment to put him back in the school environment only at home. Right. And that I think sitting down and having somebody talk at you is well suited if you're in a lecture hall or you're in a you know classroom with 24 kids with somebody giving you the information. But it's weird at home. It's like Pascal and I like for me to just sit there and like teach him is, is kind of (laughs) weird. I also don't think of myself as a teacher. I think of myself as a facilitator. And this goes back to the idea that you are also homeschooling, I'm sure. And I have used this experience, um, not experience. I've used this example when I'm, you know, talking to other people on the playground or when, when parents come to me for a homeschool consult, I say, listen, like if your kid loves Doc McStuffins, right, like you will follow that love. You might go to the zoo. You might be very into animals. You might take her to see a vet. You might try to make an appointment with a vet. You will encourage all aspects of of her loving Doc McStuffins and loving the idea that this little girl is a vet and teach, you know, the animal focus, you, you might help her build a animal hospital in her room. You're going to, you're going to facilitate your child's love. And we do this with everything, right? We facilitate their sort of rabbit holes. So that's what I, that's how I consider myself. I consider myself a facilitator. And of course, as he gets older and smarter and beyond my knowledge, I am even more of a facilitator. So, I want to give this, um, this story because I feel like it really sums up what unschooling is for us. So it was about three years ago and he started watching the Jurassic Park movies again. And there's four of them. And I know almost all kids go through this dinosaur phase when they're like four. There's an older dinosaur phase that gets even more intense. <laughs> Not every kid goes through it, but it's like crazy. He started watching Jurassic Park, and of course, it was like the middle of winter, so we didn't have a whole lot going on. And he was watching those four movies day and night, back to back, like memorizing them. And if you had looked in my living room window, I'm sure you would have been like, what the hell is she doing? Because that's not schooling at all. She's just like letting her kids sit there watching movies. But what I have learned over the years is that when a kid gets that obsessed with something, it's going somewhere. So I was like, all right, this is definitely going somewhere. Let's see. So finally, one day he kind of looks up from the movies and he's like, Mama, where I need to see DNA found in Amber. And I said, OK, well, let's let's look up some of the science here in Jurassic Park. You know, a lot of these movies have a lot of science behind them, like Star Trek, and Star Wars. So I said, let's look up the um, the science behind Jurassic Park. Incidentally, you guys, there's never been DNA found in Amber. So the whole premise of <laughs> Jurassic Park is false. But a lot of the science in the later movies absolutely holds, which was fascinating. I also found out that we are in the heyday of dinosaur discovery. i don't know. I just figured we had already discovered all the bones that we were <laughs> to discover, but no, like there's thirty six species of t rex they're they're constantly discovering new stuff right now, so that to me was fascinating. I found him a paleontologist i you know hunted down a paleontologist that he could that he could talk to. We went on a fossil dig, which was the coolest thing ever. We went on a local fossil dig and we actually found fossils from the crustaceous period, which blows my mind. Like in my house, I have a fossil from the crustaceous period. We went through all the, you know, the periods, the Triassic, the Jurassic period. All of this led to a biology lesson, right? Like he was, we get getting deeper and deeper into biology. And pretty soon we were into, you know, DNA, mitochondria, gene splicing, kind of all this crazy advanced biology, Which was so cool. Then we, he got obsessed with like musculature and death was one thing. That was a whole nother aspect of our homeschooling, but he got really into, um, he wanted to see muscle. He wanted to see muscle. I took him to that body worlds exhibit that has, you know, all the body parts pulled, the body systems pulled apart. Love that, but it wasn't enough. So then he said, I want to, I want to dissect a cadaver. (laughs) It's like, oh shit. So we live near Brown University. So I was like, do I call Brown Medical School and see if I can get him in a cadaver lab? And I sort of just put this out on Facebook and somebody's like, oh, you could just dissect a fetal pig. So I was like, all right. So we get a fetal pig, you know, from delivery that's ready for dissection. We dissect that. Funny side note story on that, the fetal pig. This is my world famous homeschool rookie story. Um, we dissect the fetal pig and I keep it on the board. And a lot of homeschooling moms want to bring their kids over because they don't want to do the dissection, but they want their kids to see the organs and everything. So I have this like little parade of homeschool kids coming through my house so we can do this lesson. And eventually, you know, I kept putting it every night. I put it in a Ziploc and I put it high in the cupboard. And eventually, of course, nobody came and I forgot about the fetal pig. It had been already treated for dissection, so it wasn't gross, but we had a heat wave. And one day I like opened my cupboard and they say, oh, that's kind of a what's that musty smell? And I'm like, oh, no, I forgot about the fetal pig like in the top of my cupboard in a heat wave in New England. Rookie mistake. Anyway, Um so it, anyway, it let down this whole big thing and he was so So interested. Now then everything takes, he stops with the musculature and the dissection and all of that. And he takes a left turn and he goes, I want to see the biggest piece of amber. So, okay, look it up. Where is it? It's in London at the Museum of Natural History. Can we go? I said, okay, well, let's plot out a, let's plot out a trip and see if we can afford it. Whatever. Let's, let's check it out. So he plots out the trip and I say, okay, if we're going to go to London, let's go over to the Eiffel Tower. You know, I want to go to Austria and do the Sound of Music tour. So I'm just, he's sitting there with a map and a computer and he's charting out this trip, looking at tickets, looking at hotels, looking at the trains, adding things up. We ended up not going because it ended up being, you know, a $30,000 trip, (laughs) but it was about six months worth of, of, quote unquote, work that came out of this. And there was geography and there was math and there was writing things down and spelling. And so I think it's a really good example of how watching movies straight through for two weeks can lead to this incredible birth of learning that's just very exciting. So that's how we unschool. So when there's an interest, we sort of go down the rabbit hole. One day he said to me, uh, Mom, I, I, I need more history. So the kids occasionally freak out that they need more. And as parents, I just see homeschoolers regularly, about every eight weeks, freak out that they need to do more, even though they almost never do when you accumulate the work. Uh, So he said, oh, I need more history. So I was like, you need more history? Get the hell out of here. Like, I'm a history buff. So I said, no, you don't. We've been doing history all along. And he said, no, we haven't. And I so we made a huge, we got butcher paper and made a huge timeline, starting with, dinosaurs and we go all the way through and we fill in these pockets of rabbit holes that we had gone down through the last seven years. You know, he got obsessed with King Tut and that that led to obsession about Egypt and uh, all of that. Then we did, you know, medieval. We did samurai. We did all these like these holes, right? Like Martin Luther King, we JFK, we had these crazy rabbit holes that he would get obsessed with. The American Revolution. Oh, my God, that took six months of obsession. And we live in New England, so we could go to all these sites and reenactments. And that was nuts. So when we plotted it all out, he's like, holy sh- crap, mama, we did a lot of history. And I was like, yes, we did. I think it's that thing. He was freaking out. And I tell parents this, too, is like, do you want your child to learn or do you want to complete the book? So a lot of times, you know, school is so sequential and. You know, we completed this book. Now we're done. And so our homeschooling doesn't look like that, but occasionally we have to like lay it out in a map so that you can see, wow, we did do a whole lot of stuff. Yeah. He is right now, he's very math inclined and he is quickly surpassing my knowledge. So he does go to an outside tutor and she's not a typical tutor. I don't care about testing. I really, really, really don't. So they're the, they do that kind of weird geeking out you know finding patterns the math patterns how math is included in everything and it's that i don't get it at all like i struggled with math so i don't get it but they love it they geek out and the great thing is with that kind of scenario they do the big concepts first the really yummy sexy fabulous concepts first and then they pull it back to the minutia to the grunt work right because if you want to do When I say sexy, I don't mean like sexy in the typical sense. I mean like this, like, you know, when you see on, uh, you know, one of your crime programs and they have that clear board to solve problems and they're like writing out those really big equations or, you know, Sheldon on Big Bang Theory, right? That's like, that's like sexy math. It's like big, big conceptual math. But what happens is then she, it's really easy when she assigns the grunt work because he's like, yeah, 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 I want to do this. So. I listen to all these higher educators on YouTube. There's some fabulous stuff, uh, TED Talks, a lot of educators, if you Google TED Talks, why kids don't need to go past sixth grade math, you'll pull up some really, really interesting stuff. And it's not necessarily that they shouldn't. But one of the things is that a lot of times in school, what happens is we put the grunt work first and that sucks because if you're doing the grunt work, you don't know the joy of what you're doing, what's coming up. And in this one book that I love, uh, shoot i can't even think of the name of it it's about tinkering i i can't think of the name of it right now but anyway the guy says you know listen like if you want to learn baseball the very first thing you do is not sit a 5 year old down and go through how to spell all the words in baseball you don't start giving them all the rules of baseball and getting super complicated you know, if we learned baseball like we learn in school, that's what it would look like. Then we'd learn the history of baseball. We compare and contrast baseball with other sports in other countries. We would Maybe in 10th grade get to hold a baseball, but don't play baseball yet. Right. So that's sort of the path. And I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. But what how do we actually teach baseball? We set up modified rules. We get the kids playing baseball because hitting the ball in T-ball is the exciting thing. Right. Do we expect kindergartners to Hit the ball wildly. No, we, we modify the rules in T-ball. Then they go into instructional. Then they go into minors. And all this time, they're still gathering the rules, but through playing, right? So that's really key, I think, in, in my philosophy, because I think that keeps the joy of learning. If you're doing just grunt work, you know, the drills before the, the fabulous, it gets tired. I don't know. I think it does anyway. And the other part of unschooling that I love is that there are no authority barriers. So I see this in his school friends. He does have, uh, you know, friends who still go to school. And it's really kind of exciting to see, especially in the teenagers that homeschool, this no authority barrier. And by that, I mean, school sort of creates this idea that the te- you know, well, it doesn't, it's not an idea. The teacher is in charge. The teacher's the authority, the principal's the authority, and you must sort of stay within that authority. And that's that's how it is. Right. And there are authorities throughout our lives that we do have to sort of obey, if you will. But as far as knowledge goes, there's no authority barriers. So Pascal, like I have a friend who's wicked into bugs. And if he has a question about a bug, he'll text her and they have this flow. There's this real flow with the adults in our lives. So homeschooling as a lifestyle is very mixed ages. He's constantly with younger kids and adults. And there's a easy flow. He speaks to adults, just like he speaks to child uh, to other children. So it's kind of cool. It's like this real mixed age life, which I think is is very, very cool. Moving on to the next question is homeschooling legal. What do you have to do? Homeschooling is legal in all states, but each state has its own requirements. So federally, it is legal. And then the federal government has given each state the ability to sort of form their own requirements. I would say the best thing to do is if you feel like you want to homeschool is look this up and find a group. I would find a group because they usually have the best information for what you need to submit to the school department. You do have to submit something in every state because even if it's very lax, like I'm homeschooling and that's it. But what will happen is a lot of times if you call the school that you'll get misinformation, people have opinions about homeschooling and that will come out and you can get misinformation. And so it's really important to stay sort of in keeping with what other homeschoolers are doing. So there's a united front and you don't want to overstep or understep the law. It also can really be great Um, to join a group because you have to find your homeschooling legs. It's very, very nerve wracking. The first four years, I would say you are just obsessed with curriculum. What do you guys do? You know, every time you meet with homeschooling parents, how do you do it? What do you do? Do your kids resist? Do your kids like this? So that that kind of thing is constantly going on. And and a group sometimes will have co-ops. They'll let you know about activities in the area. They're just an awesome resource. And even if you're not religious and the only group in your area is religious. It's still really good to hook up with them just, just as a basis. You do need confidence. Even if you have to join online groups, that's great because it's scary. It just is. I think it's just very scary. And to not acknowledge that is, is a little kooky. It is a big, big experiment. It's a great experiment. And it over the years, I've just learned. I see so many of our friends that are going to college. They're super successful. Or they got great jobs or great internships. I've seen like homeschooling quote unquote work. So it helps have it. It helps me with my confidence, but I do know that this can be like, whoa, what am I doing? Another question I constantly get is, yeah, but we both have to work. We have two parents working. And I, I hear that a couple of thoughts on that is that homeschooling does not have to happen during the day. The other thing is I really. This is not with judgment. I I really don't say this with judgment, but I do think it warrants some self-reflection, which is if we are using school as a place of daycare, and I'm talking about later school, not actual daycare or preschool. If we're using it for daycare as a primary source, not education, that's something that you might want to evaluate. And again, I say that without judgment. In my community, I see tons of parents making it work. I see kids staying with another homeschool family while Uh, you know, a parent works and then comes home early and they do their schooling at night. I see so many parents whose uh, parent gave up their job and they completely downsized their lives. I know at least three families that moved to a much smaller house with a smaller yard. They super looked at their finances and they just scaled back because this is what they wanted to do. So if you want to do it, it can work and it can be, you know, it takes some finagling, I'm sure, but it can work. Another comment. uh, Oh, God bless you. I couldn't do it. We fight constantly. Me and my kid fight constantly. Yes, I hear that a lot. Um, You could do it if you want to. So if you're saying that to me because you honestly don't know how you could do it because your kids fight, you you fight with your kids, that's a different conversation than, like, I really just don't want to do this and I'm just telling you something. So I always say, like, are you serious? Do you want to do it? Can we talk about this? Or are you just kind of blowing me off? If... You don't want to be with your child all day because you fight constantly. Again, I say this with no judgment, but you might want to self-reflect on that. I know when I'm struggling with my child, pushing away further never works. Pulling in closer always does. So you might want to look at that. The other thing about fighting constantly is I usually tell people I can almost guarantee that your fights with your child are getting up and out of the house in the morning in time for school and coming home a wreck and settling into the work they need to do at home, managing time for video games and homework and physical activity and dinner and all the things that kids have to do in the wee hours of after school. And they look at me and they go, yes, that's exactly when we fight. And I say, well, see, I just don't have those fights. We have removed those two things. Yeah. So that's that's my thoughts on that. Another thing that often comes up for me is, oh, you homeschool? Yeah, I used to know this family family back, um, my next lived next to my grandmother. And yeah, they were terrible that uh, those kids were awful. I don't think they did anything all day. I also get, yes, but what about that guy who killed and ate his kids and they were homeschoolers? People need to be checked up on. You guys, I am not responsible for all the homeschoolers, nor am I responsible for all the crappy parenting or the not even crappy. Parent, I don't know what to do with people who murder and beat their kids. That's beyond crappy parenting but I'm not responsible for that. And neither is homeschooling. And I want to take a minute to go off on a little tangent and say that if we're sending our kids to school so that they can be checked up on, that's a creepy thought, you guys. Legislation around parenting is very, very spooky to me. And in fact, Pascal and I receive emails about bills that are coming through our House and Senate that have to do with kids. Pascal has Often written testimony, he goes down to the state house and stands before the Senate Judiciary Committee or the Senate Education Committee. And he speaks against these bills because he feels so strongly about legislating parenting. And also that's unschooling and it's public speaking. (laughs) And and writing a good speech. So we're constantly walking a fine line, right? We toss these ideas out. I hear these ideas about legislating parenting on social media, but people don't actually think about the longer term consequences. Bad parenting exists. It surely does. And I saw it in my son's school. I saw kids who had no teeth from bottle rot. I saw kids with no winter clothes because of poverty. I saw kids whose parents were clearly on drugs. I saw kids with questionable bruises on their body and, you know, said something to the teacher. The teachers are mandated reporters. Yeah, kids get beat and murdered and neglected even when they're in school. And broken kids regularly fall through the cracks, even when they're in school. My choice in educating my child is a constitutional right. To take that away and put legislation in place that I would need to be checked up on in my own home For exercising a right that's outside the norm is a very spooky direction. Yeah, I'm not responsible for all the shitty parents who homeschool. I just I can't say that enough. And I don't think that people need to be checked up on. Yes, I think that shitty parents need to be to be called. And that's why we have agencies in place. And those agencies are overtaxed and everything's overtaxed. But anyway, that's my that's my thought on legislating parenting. To round out this episode, I want to end with the biggest question and sort of some offshoots of that, and that is the ubiquitous, well, what about socialization? This might have been an issue like 20 years ago, but it's really not an issue. And for the love of all that is holy, please stop asking homeschooling parents this question. Number one, this is where I'd have to be slightly negative towards the school culture here. Most schools don't allow for a whole lot of socialization. My kids' school, silent lunch. Lunch was one of the few times that they had time for socialization. 11-minute recesses that are taken away so they can stand against the wall. Again, very limited socialization. If they work in groups, it's on something very specific, very structured. So there's not actually a whole lot of time for socialization. The other thing that I've noticed is that when you're in a class, of course, you're going to have best friends in that class because you're with them all day long. But very often, it's the lesser of all evils. It's not necessarily a person that you super resonate with. It's the person you resonate with most in the class. And I noticed this because Pascal didn't really have any friends in his class when he was in school, because like I said, the majority of them had these behavioral problems that that prevented getting close in a friendship. But once we started homeschooling, he has friends that are all over the state and there is a lot of driving, but it's like these are truly friends that he resonates with. So businesses have really stepped up. Uh, colleges, we've taken math classes at MIT, at Stanford. We have the trampoline park, the local ski slopes. Everybody offers like homeschool deals during the week. So it's kind of cool. And there's tons of socializing. My kid has a bigger social life than me. And there's lots of planning and there's project building. And it's just really cool. So socialization is just not an issue at all, like at all. Kind of attached to those questions is um, I get two pretty dumb questions. One is like, I swear to God, I don't know why this happens. Oh, but how will they learn to wait in line? And I'm like, seriously, like you're sending your kid to school to learn how to wait in line. That's not cool. <laughs> we wait in line everywhere. You guys, we wait in line at the bank. We wait in line at the market. Like, that's not a thing. And I seriously get this question. What about Prom. Which blows my mind. Like, I'm not basing 12 years of education on the big dance at the end. And they do have homeschooled proms. <laughs> and lastly, the kind of, I don't know, this one's kind of crazy. Oh, he needs to be exposed to real life. And again, I'm going to be slightly negative about the school culture here. School is not real life, you guys. It's a totally manufactured environment. And I it, that's that's like not even... A judgmental thing. It's manufactured. When in life are you ever in a, the same environment with 24 other people who are exactly your age grouped together solely because of age, not because of interest, not because of skill level? That's, that's manufactured. When are you? you know, all day, every day in a place where one person's imparting the wisdom and that's it. And you're not it's not a give and take. Right. That's that's manufactured. And, and it's not like I'm i am not trying to be hard on school. It's just that like when people say that to me, I'm just like, that's the dumbest thing ever. My kid is constantly exposed to real life. He's constantly talking. He went to the bank and opened his own checking account. He talks to, you know, adults and, and service people all day long. I think one of the best things about kind of being with me all day long, or, you know, with other homeschoolers is we get to, he gets to see how people model bullying behavior because that's another thing that comes up. Well, he needs to learn how to deal with bullies. And I'm like, really? No, he doesn't. Because <laughs> bullying in school is messed up, man. Bullying in school is like a kid gets cornered away from the teacher's eye. It's it's totally messed up. In real life, I get to walk away from a bully or I get to say, you know what? I'd like to end this conversation. And so I think that's really cool. Pascal gets to see me deal with bullies on the road. He gets to see me deal with bullies in the market. He gets to see that modeled. and he gets to see that, you know what? You don't actually have to deal with bullies. You walk away from bullies. You get them out of your life. So that's a, another small little tangent. Like I said, because of homeschooling's rise in numbers, there are just so many social opportunities, classes, groups, chats, meetups. Our social life, it's really homeschooling is a way of life because we're out of the house and doing things all the time. I think homeschooling is one of the it's like not homeschooling. It's like life schooling. Right. And other homeschoolers are doing it, too. Even the people who do like super strict sit down work, they're still also going out and doing all these activities And one of the things I say that I wish somebody had told me about homeschooling is how bad your house is messed up because you'll be like in the middle of a project and this really great opportunity comes up and you fly out the door. And it's like, who has time for laundry, man? Like there's so many cool things to learn. So I'm going to close out now for today. I really want to reiterate that I don't think homeschooling is for everyone. I think that school, if school is working for your child awesome. I, I love it. That's great. I am a fan of public school. I wish it worked for us. It didn't, and that's okay. I love the flexibility of homeschooling. It's definitely not for everyone. Uh, I do not hate teachers. I don't ho- I don't hate school. Yeah. I also offer homeschool consulting. So if you think you need to work through some of your own scared, throwing up anxiety, you can book with me at jamie at And yeah, remember that we're all homeschooling, even if it's part-time. So I hope you guys have an awesome day. Rock on. All right. I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, yummy new book presale treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the O-Crap oh potty training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified O-Crap oh consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.